All right, if you'll stand with me as we open God's Word for this morning's reading. Uh, we are going to read in Acts again. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses uh, 54 through uh, chapter 8, verses 4, the, uh, uh, the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, if you've got a, a pew Bible that you're going to use, you can find this passage on page 632. Again, we're going to be reading Acts chapter 7, verse 54, down through chapter 8, verse number 4. Then when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word and for the example of Stephen and his, uh, God, his faith and his boldness in the face of persecution. Lord, we thank you for the power that he had and that we have through your son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. God, may you just give us boldness to go and witness to all ends of the earth. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kirk, for leading us in our scripture reading. This morning, as we conclude our series in the book of Acts here, at least for the time being, part one of our series, a uh, series we've been calling Unstoppable, and uh, we've been in this series for the last few months, 15 messages. We'll conclude this today, and uh, we'll pick this series back up, part two, in September. And uh, in between, we'll do a summer series. But today, what I want us to do is to focus on the life of Stephen here, focus our hearts and minds on one who died, one who gave his life as a martyr for the sake of serving Jesus in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Pollock tells the story in his book, A Foreign Devil in China, that when Ruth Bell, who would later marry Billy Graham, was just a little girl, she had this passion for martyrdom. She grew up in China where her parents were missionaries. She used to pray every night that the Lord would let her be a martyr before the end of the year. She wanted bandits to capture and behead her for Jesus' sake. Her sister Rosa used to think, how horrid. And so every night when Ruth played, prayed, Lord, let me be a martyr, her sister Rosa prayed, Lord, don't you listen to her. <laughs> well, I think most of us here this morning are a little more like Rosa than we are Ruth. I doubt anyone here is praying to be a martyr before the end of the year. Anybody here praying that way? I didn't think so. I know I am not. But we should pray to be courageous witnesses 
of Jesus Christ, both in life and even in death. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, shows us exactly what it means to be a courageous witness in life and in death. We've already seen the life of Stephen as a courageous witness for the last few Sundays, and, and now what we're looking at here in this passage is the death of Stephen as still a very courageous witness of the gospel in Jesus Christ. In fact, notice this coming up on the screen and in your notes, the death of a courageous witness. Stephen shows us that the way to die as a courageous witness is the same way to live as a courageous witness. It was often said of the Puritans in the 16th and 17th centuries that they, quote, died well. It's kind of an odd thing to say, and yet it's really a great compliment to be said of one. They died well. And that doesn't mean that they died free of pain at the moment of their death or approaching death, but rather they died free of fear as they focused on Jesus and as they kept the faith. The Puritan Edmund Barker said it this way, Every Christian has two great works to do in the world, to live well and then to die well. Stephen was a man who did both. He not only lived well as a courageous witness, but he died well as a courageous witness for Jesus Christ. And, and what I love about this book here of Acts and, and the author here, Luke, I love how Luke tells us what Stephen's secret is to both these things. He tells us Stephen's secret to living well and dying well was the Holy Spirit of God. When we were first introduced to Stephen, Luke describes him back in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, that he was a man full of faith and a man full of the Holy Spirit. And now, as he approaches the end of his life, Luke tells us also in Acts 7, verse 55 here, but he being full of the Holy Spirit. And so you see at the beginning when we're introduced to him, he's a man full of the Spirit. And now at the end of his life, he's a man full of the Spirit. And so that is really the secret to his life of being a courageous witness for Jesus Christ, both in life as well as in death. I hope you see the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in the life of Christ's followers, like Stephen. Folks, listen, it's the same Spirit that we have. We have the same Spirit that dwells within us. And it also makes the same difference in our lives. It is the secret, it is the key for us here as Christ followers to living well as courageous witnesses and dying well as courageous witnesses. And yet, even though we know this in our heads, I think we often wonder in our hearts, could I, is it possible, could I endure suffering for Christ in the hour of persecution? Could I endure suffering for Christ even in the hour of death? We hear of Christians in the past who have suffered and even died for their faith in Jesus. We hear stories of Christians like Stephen here this morning who were stoned to death. We've heard stories of other believers who were burned at the stake. And now even today, we see on the news or we read it on the internet, we hear stories of Christians who are 
who are actually being killed by ISIS and, and some of them even beheaded for the sake of Jesus Christ and their, their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, perhaps, as you hear those stories, perhaps you've, you've even wondered in your, to yourself, man, could I endure such suffering for Christ in the hour of persecution and even in the hour of my death? And of course, the answer is no, I couldn't. At least not in myself. But as Christ followers, we are not left to ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit of God to enable us, to empower us, to endure whatever suffering God's will allows into our lives. Peter, one of the prominent leader here at the early church in Jerusalem, was also a man who suffered for the sake of Christ. He's also a man who died for the sake of Christ. Reminds us in a, his book that he later writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Listen to his own words. He's, but, he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. And then he adds this phrase. It's a key phrase. He says, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, I think what Peter is saying here is that there is a, a special grace that God gives, that God extends for those who suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Peter says that the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And so what a comfort to know that there will be special grace in our hour of suffering and death. With this in mind, let me just share with you here a biblical view of death. That way we're all on the same page. We're all thinking in terms of it in the same way. Here's the biblical view of death. Death is an enemy. Death is certainly an enemy. But it is a conquered enemy that cannot separate us from the love of God. Let's be very clear on one thing here. Death is still an enemy, is it not? But it is not heroic. It is not glamorous. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We were not created by God to die. Death is a curse. Death is an enemy that came into the world through Adam and Eve's sin. And yet, we are not without hope. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 15, 54-57, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, this victory over death cannot separate us from the love of God. Paul reminds us of this great truth in Romans chapter 8 when he declares, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And then he goes on and he gives us the answer, no. It's emphatic. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, yes, 
Death is our enemy. But folks, listen to me. It is a conquered enemy through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want us to see this. I want us to be encouraged by this truth in the death of Stephen here in our passage in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, as we already mentioned, was the very first martyr of the Christian church. And as you can imagine, he died a very horrible death. Death by stoning. And yet death became Stephen's conquered enemy. Just as death can become our conquered enemy. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is share with you four ways that death becomes the believer's conquered enemy. And as we look at these four ways, let me give credit where credit is due. I'm grateful to John Piper for the first three of these four points. The first way that death becomes our conquered enemy, number one, is by becoming a window to see Jesus. By becoming a window to see Jesus. Luke writes in verse 54, look at it with me one more time. He says, when they, and he's referring here to the Jewish religious leaders. Sometimes they're known as the Sanhedrin. When they, the Sanhedrin, heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him, that is Stephen, with their teeth. Now, when they heard what things? What caused them to be cut to the heart? What is it that caused them to gnash their teeth at Stephen? Well, it's when they heard Stephen's defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Stephen came to the conclusion of that gospel defense of Jesus Christ, they were cut to the heart, it says. And they gnashed at him. Stephen's he basically accuses them, if you remember last Sunday, of actually being the ones themselves who, who blasphemed God in the temple. But what really made these guys furious was Stephen accuses them of being so stiff-necked as they tried to keep the law that they themselves broke the law. And in the process of breaking the law, they ended up rejecting the very Messiah that God sent to them to be their Savior and their Lord. And of course, that is the one, Jesus Christ. As you might imagine, Stephen didn't get any amens at the end of his lengthy sermon. In fact, the whole place blew up on him. The Jewish religious leaders were cut to the heart. And they started grinding their teeth at him. In other words, they were, they were filled with anger and rage. And they wanted some blood spilled. What's also interesting about this phrase, gnashing of teeth, that may be a familiar phrase to you if you read through the Gospels, because Jesus uses that very term, gnashing of teeth. It's used to describe people in hell, and in their, their hatred, their hostility toward God himself, while they're in hell. And now Stephen's taking that very same term, in his, or Luke is, and it's being used of these very Jewish religious leaders in their hatred and hostility of Stephen, except it's not really Stephen. What they're really angry at is Jesus Christ and the gospel. Stephen is the messenger. But, oh, there is a stark difference with Stephen at this very moment. We see this in verse 55 where it says, But he, being full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
I mean, could there be any greater contrast here between Stephen and the Sanhedrin? I mean, this is amazing. The Sanhedrin, think about this. They were hot with anger and rage. They were murderous in their thoughts. They were utterly consumed with anger, while Stephen was calm in heart. He is confident in his Lord, and he is at peace with God. The Sanhedrin were full of the spirit of hate and hostility, while Stephen was full of the spirit of God and grace. But what I really want us to see is what Stephen saw as he approaches his death. Notice again what Luke writes in verse 55 and 56. He says, he tells us, but he, Stephen, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God in Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Sanhedrin can only see the things that pertain to this world. But Stephen could see something in someone beyond this world. He gazed up into heaven and he caught a glimpse of God's glory. And in that moment, God became more real to Stephen than anything that might cause him pain. As the brilliance of God's glory shifts, Stephen then saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the book of Hebrews, and even elsewhere in God's Word, it, Jesus is said to be sitting at the right hand of the Father rather than standing. Perhaps Stephen didn't realize what was about to happen to him, that he was about to be stoned, but heaven did. Jesus himself knew that just as this very crowd had killed him, they were about to kill the man who had just boldly proclaimed him. And Jesus now stands, perhaps to indicate his concern for the man who is about to die for him. And Jesus stands perhaps to receive Stephen into his arms. Or as Bible scholar F.F. F. Bruce writes, Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, and now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. Do you see here? In this moment of Stephen's life, do you see how death is it's stripped of its power here? And it is a conquered enemy for Stephen. Death raises its ugly head. And it threatens to take away our peace and our confidence in God. But instead, it opens the window of heaven and it reveals the glory of God. Death threatens to take away our most precious relationships. But instead, it shows Jesus standing to receive his servants. This is not meant to suggest in any way here. Luke is not trying to to suggest that, that we too will see the exact same vision of glory and of Jesus in our moments of death that Stephen saw. But I do believe that God makes himself known to us in ways that make everything else just kind of fade into the background and that the Spirit of God himself comforts us when we are dying. On our, or one other way, one way or another, the Spirit makes death a, a window of heaven to see Jesus. And in this way, the sting of death, as Paul writes, is gone, and the power of death is broken. This is the first way death becomes our conquered enemy, by becoming a window in which we see Jesus. The second way death becomes our conquered enemy is by becoming a doorway to join Jesus. 
by voicing this vision of God's glory in Jesus, Stephen was somewhat placing the final nail in his own coffin. Within minutes, Stephen would be dragged from the courtroom outside of the city where he would be stoned to death. Look what it says in verse 57. It says, Then they, that is this group, these religious leaders, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen's vision of God's glory, his vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven, proves too much for these blinded by Satan. For it was the climactic conclusion of Stephen's sermon that God dwells in heaven, not in temples. Remember, they worshiped the temple. They thought Jesus only dwelt in the temple. And now Stephen's crying out, Listen, I see God and he's in heaven. And this was more than they could bear. It was more than enough and they couldn't take it anymore. And so in a fit of rage, they, they covered their ears and they, they yelled at the top of their lungs to drown out what Stephen is saying. And then in a mob-like violence, they, they ran in one accord at Stephen. They grabbed him and they drove him out of the city walls and they hurled stones at him until blows to his head caused his death. Stoning someone. Man, that is a brutal method of execution. And surely a painful way to die. One author describes it this way. Stoning somebody to death, especially somebody as young and as healthy as Stephen, is not easy. You do not get the job done with the first few rocks. And even after you get the man down, it is a long, hot business. To prepare themselves for the workout, they stripped to the waist and got somebody to keep an eye on their things till they were through. The man they got was a fire-breathing young Jew named Saul, who was there because he thoroughly approved of what they were doing. It's difficult for even us now to imagine how anyone, could remain so calm and so focused while being stoned to death. But Stephen did. The sight of heaven opening up before him made him see with a different perspective the things that were happening to his body. He was on his way home to be with his Savior. And at death's door, and on the other side was Jesus waiting to receive him with open arms. When Jesus stands on the other side of death, let me tell you, this side of it is not nearly so frightening. So death here, in a very real way, becomes Stephen's conquered enemy, not only as a window to see Jesus, but now as a doorway to join Jesus. Peter himself writes in 1 Peter 4.19, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. And that's exactly what we see Stephen doing here in verse 59 when it says, And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Same words that Jesus used when he was on the cross and being crucified. He cries out to his Father, Lord Jesus, Father, receive my spirit. 
Clearly, Stephen is ready to die. Death did not trouble him because he knew that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And although Stephen suffered a violent, horrible, terrible, painful death, he died with supernatural grace, supernatural peace. Luke tells us in verse 60 that he simply fell asleep. What a great word picture to describe Stephen's death. He fell asleep. When I think of that phrase and that word picture, I can't help but be reminded of my two boys when they were young. When they were babies, toddlers, and perhaps we'd be watching, I'd be watching a basketball game in the living room and it'd be late at night and one of the boys would be on the couch. I'd look over. And they just drifted off to sleep. That's the word picture here that Luke is using. He fell asleep in the arms of his Savior, Jesus Christ. It suggests, and this is interesting, it suggests in contrast to the violence that his body suffered, his soul slipped peacefully into the presence of Jesus. And in this way, you could say death, then, is like falling asleep. Even when the body may be falling apart, you shut your eyes and you're in heaven with Jesus. That's the second way death becomes our conquered enemy, by becoming a doorway to join our Savior and Lord. The third way death becomes our conquered enemy is by becoming an occasion now to reflect Jesus. On one level, the stoning of Stephen is brutal. It is very brutal. But folks, listen to me. On another level, the stoning of Stephen was beautiful. And you may be wondering right now, how in the world can you say that? In what way was his death beautiful? Because Stephen used it as an occasion to reflect the beauty and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, his Savior. In contrast to the hatred that the Sanhedrin cried out with against Stephen, notice what Stephen cries out in verse 60. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with the sin. And again, we are reminded of our Savior, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. And even he said the same words, to those who crucified him. What kind of grace and mercy is this? Why, it's nothing less than the grace and mercy of Jesus. When he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And now Stephen, he is using his death, his moment of death, as an occasion to reflect the beauty of Jesus with the same words of forgiveness for his killers. You say, how will this happen? How will this forgiveness be granted to them? Well, only as his killers repent of their sin. Only as his killers turn in faith to the Savior they so despise at this moment. Then, and only then, will their sins be forgiven and they will not have to face the final punishment for their sins. Stephen's willingness, and it's mind-boggling, but his willingness to forgive his slayers 
man, it pierces our own hearts like an arrow, doesn't it? It challenges us even now. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us hardly face what Stephen faced. The injustices that are, that are rendered against us seem small and trivial by comparison. And yet, we often harbor deep-seated resentment and bitterness and hatred against those who have offended us. Maybe a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, whatever the case may be. Is there within us an unforgiving spirit that nurtures anger and bitterness toward others? Listen, Stephen, even in death, he shows us the way to be spirit-filled and Jesus-like. It's interesting to note that not even death could bring out of Stephen's heart feelings of hate and hostility and hopelessness. Death made Stephen, get this, more like Jesus. That's amazing. It made him appreciate that there is heaven to be gained on the other side of death. It drew from him the desire to see Jesus, to be with Jesus, and now to reflect Jesus to his enemies. And in this way, death became Stephen's conquered enemy. There's one last way death becomes our conquered enemy. And that is by becoming a catalyst to proclaim Jesus. I love what G. Campbell Morgan wrote about Stephen's death. Listen to his words. He says, the story here of Stephen ends with the mangled body of Stephen. No, it does not so end. It ends with a brief word to suggest something still to come. Did you catch that brief word? Go back and look at that brief word in verse 58. Look at it. You find it in verse 58 when Luke writes, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. Who's this young man? Well, Luke will tell us much more about him, and we'll learn much more about Saul as we pick up this series in the fall. But we already know that this Saul will become the Apostle Paul, will become perhaps the greatest missionary ambassador for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But until then, notice what Luke writes in Acts 8 here, verses 1 through 3. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. In other words, Saul approved of this. He not only approved of it, he was clapping for it as he stood on the sidelines and watched. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then we have this little epitaph of Stephen's death. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and they made great lamentation over him. But as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. And Luke is being intentional here. He's drawing a comparison. He's drawing a contrast before between what the men of the church did with Stephen's body and what Saul is doing to the body of Jesus Christ, the church. 
As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And the imagery here of entering in every house and dragging them off is like animals preying on their prey. And they pounce on them, and then they drag them away to safety where they could devour them. That is the image Luke is using for us. But folks, listen to me here. I want you to see, I want us to understand that no one suffers for Christ in vain. The blood that Jesus shed for Stephen was not in vain. And the blood that Stephen shed for Jesus was not in vain. Watching Stephen die, listen, it had a profound and unforgettable impact on Saul. Yes, he continued to persecute the church for a while, but eventually... He would be washed in the blood of Jesus and be made new. Stephen's bold witness of Jesus in his life and now here in his death would soften the soil of Saul's heart. It would prepare him for his conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus. In fact, it's fascinating to think that all or most of this very account that we read here in Acts was probably given to Luke by none other than Saul, after his salvation to Christ. And years later, now sits down and tells Luke this story so Luke could record it for us to read today. Amazing. Mark it down. God never wastes the blood of his saints. It was Tertullian who said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And in his death, in his dying... Stephen sowed a seed in the heart of Saul that would reap a harvest greater than he could ever imagine. And what happens next is that the persecution that arose against the church scatters the seed of the gospel. Luke tells us in verse 4, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching what? Preaching the word. In other words, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this dispersion... This scattering through persecution. Listen, it doesn't create refugees. It creates missionaries. And in this way, God himself, in his divine sovereign purposes, God uses Stephen's death as a a catalyst to proclaim the gospel in Judea and in Samaria when the church is scattered through persecution. And so even death, get this, cannot stop God from building His church. Even death cannot stop the gospel from spreading and the church from growing. Death is truly a conquered enemy through Jesus Christ. No wonder the Apostle Paul later writes and declares, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, death is still an enemy. But it is a conquered enemy that cannot separate us from the love of God. Do you ever think about your own death? I mean, seriously. I know that sounds morbid. But do you ever think about your own death? You ever lay in bed at night and think, oh. You ever think about how you're going to die, when you're going to die, the manner in which you're going to die? I challenge you to think about your death. 
Most people don't. Most people give no thought to their death. We're too busy thinking about our life and conquering this world and our own ambitions and building our lives and our careers and living for this world. Most people don't think about their death unless they go to a funeral of a loved one. Tomorrow, perhaps, many people will think about death as they maybe go to the grave of a loved one. Or perhaps people think about death when they know someone who's actually dying, maybe dying of cancer even. I've always enjoyed the work of ESPN-anchored Stuart Scott. Stuart Scott passed away this, this past January after a very long battle with cancer. And he gave this really moving speech at the annual ESPY Awards back in July of 2014. He knew he was dying at the time. In fact, he almost didn't even make the event as he had been in the hospital the entire week before. But at the ESPY Awards, he said this, kind of as the summation of his speech. When you die, that does not mean you lose to cancer. You beat cancer by how you live, why you live, and in the manner in which you live. And in many, many ways, Stuart Scott is absolutely right, but on one condition. If, if how you live, why you live, and in the manner in which you live is all about Jesus. I do not know if Stuart Scott was a believer in Jesus Christ or not. I do not know the destiny of his soul at this moment. But here's what I do know. You beat death by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The one who conquered death with his death and his resurrection. True, none of us know when we will die or how we will die, the manner in which we will die, but we do know this. It's going to happen sooner or later if Lord the tarries. So how will you respond? To your death? Will you respond with fear of death? Or will you respond with faith in Jesus Christ? You may not die a brutal death like Stephen, but you can die knowing that death is your conquered enemy if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Do you know Jesus? Has there come a point in your life where you have humbled your heart humbled your life, submitted to the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and confessed your sins, asked Him to forgive you. Lord, be my Savior. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And in knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, death can become your conquered enemy, just as it was for Stephen. What a courageous life Stephen lived. What a courageous death Stephen died. My prayer is that that would be said of me. And that would be said of you. But the key is Stephen knew Jesus Christ. The key is Stephen had the Spirit of God as a result of that relationship with Christ. Where are you at in that? Death is coming. Think about it. This morning, we're going to conclude our service here with communion. And as we do, I want us to remember Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. 
In fact, it's interesting, Jesus twice said, do this in remembrance of me when speaking about his supper. And so remember that Jesus died as our substitute. Remember that Jesus is the one who paid the penalty for our sins. And so let's reflect also on our sinfulness and God's forgiveness. This is where we focus on the very words of Jesus when he says, this is my body which is for you. That's the gospel. This is why we say that the bread that we're going to eat and the juice that we're going to drink is, represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. So as we come to the Lord's table to reflect on our sinfulness and our need for God's forgiveness, do so with a grateful heart. Let's also renew our commitment to Jesus Christ and his mission. After feasting on the Lord's forgiveness and his faithfulness, listen, how can we not walk away with a, a renewed passion to live as courageous witnesses like Stephen? after what Jesus has done for us. And then let's rejoice together as we look forward to the day when Christ returns for his bride, the church. Paul says when we take the Lord's Supper that we proclaim his death till he comes. So we rejoice that Jesus died. We rejoice that he rose again. And we also rejoice that Jesus is coming again. For us, his church. Let's bow our heads. The musicians are going to come and we're going to have a time of response. Those that are going to help serve the Lord's Supper, I ask that you would come and just sit on the front row. And I want us to take a few moments here to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Stephen in both life and death. We Thank you for the way in which it speaks so clear, clearly and so fully of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, death is our conquered enemy that cannot separate us from your love. Lord, grant us the grace and the power to live and to die as courageous witnesses of Jesus. Thank you for the sending of your Son to suffer and die for us, that we might have the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. The music's going to play just for a moment here. And I want to encourage you to use this time while the music's playing to give thanks to God for his sacrifice of his Son. Perhaps there's business you need to do with the Father. Perhaps there's unconfessed sin in your own heart that needs to be confessed. Listen, this is the beautiful time, one of the most beautiful times to come to the Father and ask his forgiveness because it is based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. So prepare your hearts before we take communion.